Well, I'm glad you're here this morning. Uh, for those of you who don't know, my name's Sean. I'm one of the pastors here. And if you're joining us online, I'm glad you're joining us this morning. We are in week four of a series um, that we're just calling Us, What It Means to Be we. Um, if you were here last week or joined us last week online, uh, Dan McMillan joined us last week, and I'm so grateful. Can I just say again publicly, I'm so grateful that we are in a community of churches that a pastor of another church would come and preach for us on a Sunday morning. And uh, so if you see Dan or know anybody that's a part of Cultivate, um, just tell him thank you for lending uh, Dan to us this last week. Um, uh, he, he killed it. He was great. So this week, here, here's our statement, right? Uh, we are not spiritual consumers. We are spiritual contributors. The church does not exist for us. We are the church, and we exist for the world. If you have your Bibles and you want to follow along, where we're going to dig in is going to be 1 Corinthians 12. If you don't have a Bible, don't worry about it. Um, I'll read all the stuff to you, but if you like to follow along, 1 Corinthians 12. Now, um, my family, every so often, gets an opportunity to go on a vacation that we go on pretty often. Um, we go on a houseboat on Lake Shasta, right? And, and despite what you've seen, there is water in Lake Shasta. There's not a lot, but there's still water there, right? And in fact, I love when they share the rumors that there's no water because then nobody else comes. So it's really quiet and it's really nice. Um, if you've never been on a houseboat, um, houseboating is kind of like camping, but you're confined to 200 square feet with the people all week. So you better like the people that you're stuck with, right? Because you're stuck on a floating boat. Um, we rent a houseboat, and if you've never been houseboating, you rent the houseboat, and then every night, you, you don't just float. Someone asked me one time, they're like, how do you not run into the shore at night? Like, you don't just like float adrift. You, you, you ground it, you run into shore, and, uh, and, and then the next morning you wake up, and you fire everything up, and it's got generator and all this kind of stuff. And this last time we were there, and uh, we, we got up in the morning and went to fire the generator up, and... It wouldn't turn on, wouldn't turn on. And so, you know, part of the personality of my family is we could have, there, there's, there's information, there's numbers available. It says, if you have any mechanical problems, call us and they send a mechanic out on a boat that they got from World War II to come out to help work on the boat. But you know, we're not gonna do that, right? So what do we do? We go back, we open the compartment. We've gotta get the generator going because we can't start our day without coffee, right? And so. We do get the generator going, and we call, and we say, hey, we had this problem, and, and uh, they just, they send a guy out, and he comes out, and he right? And they leaves. Next morning, we wake up, we go to turn the generator on, and nothing happens. So we call him, right? They send another guy out, and he comes out, and, and, and this guy, he says, well, all the other mechanics they have are idiots, Right? And I'll fix it for you, right? And he puts new batteries in, he does this kind of work on it and stuff like that. And, and then the next morning we wake up and it worked, right? Which was awesome, okay? Here's an important point. Simultaneously, simultaneously my parents have a ski boat that we had and the ski boat was having problems. There's times where you'd come off a plane, you take the throttle back and all of a sudden you go, blah, 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 which is not what, that's, that's real sound effects. That's what actually happens when it comes off a plane, right? Or there were electronic things going on and you push buttons and they wouldn't respond correctly. And again, personality in my family, um, we, we broke down one time, we're out in the lake. Um, we, we were a good distance away from the boat and um, 
We didn't really see anybody, so instead of just floating adrift out um, there, we got all the able-bodied adults, uh, adults in the water, and we began to think that we could push the boat, um, which would have taken us 17 days to get there. And luckily, someone came along, and they towed us, right? They towed us back, and it broke down a couple times. But something different happened to us when the ski boat broke down. When the ski boat broke down, we didn't just call a mechanic and tell them to come fix it because it wasn't ours, right? It was theirs. They had to come fix it. When our ski boat broke down, we ended up on the phone with mechanics in Reading. We ended up on Google. We eventually ended up ordering a part from like Maine to get shipped. I don't know why they have it in Maine, but it got shipped from Maine to fix it because it's our boat. There's something different when you rent than when you own. It's like uh, some of you have gym memberships, right? You go to the gym, you go to get on the treadmill, um, and the treadmill doesn't work. What do you do? You go to the front counter and go, I paid my dues, you gotta fix the treadmill, right? Now, some of you have a treadmill in your garage. Now, let's be honest, you got it from someone for free because they quit using it, and you've used it three times. But on the rare occasion, maybe January 2nd, you go out to your treadmill, and you go out to January 2nd to your treadmill, and it doesn't work. What do you do when it doesn't work? You put it out on the street corner and say, free, right? But if it's actually nice, you have to call someone, you fix it, you take care of it, because it's yours. One of the great temptations, one of the great risks that's going on in the church in America, has been going on for decades, is that many of us treat church as a place we rent from or a membership we pay. And when it doesn't work, we just go, hey, hey, I paid my dues. I paid my rent bill. Um, somebody come fix this. Instead of recognizing that we are the church. First Corinthians. If you're at First Corinthians 12, you can stay there. First Corinthians 12, you can stay there. I'm going to read just a little bit from First Corinthians 1 because I want you to get the scene of the book of First Corinthians. If you've never studied the book of First Corinthians, um, if you ever feel bad about yourself or your church experience, read the book of Corinthians. Okay, they are a dumpster fire of a community of faith. Just weird stuffs going on, like. We could get into details, but let me just say it this way. It is not PBS kids appropriate, what's going on in, in the church of Corinth. Like, it is a mess of a church, right? But look, look at how he begins, okay? 1 Corinthians um, 1, let me just read it to you, okay? It says this. Now I, this is being Paul, he's writing in the church at Corinth. I exhort you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree and that there be no divisions among you. That should immediately clue you into the problem at Corinth. Paul begins his rather, he begins before this, he's just talking about, you know, hey, I've been praying for you, hoping God does great things for you. And his opening thesis, his opening statement to the church at Corinth is that his desire is that there wouldn't be division amongst them, which would tell us that there is division, division everywhere. He writes a huge letter to a church that is fractured in every spot that they can find to be fractured in. He, he says this. Look, this is just his first example. He says, uh, that there be no division among you, but that you may be made complete in the same mind and in the same judgment. Verse 11, for I have been informed concerning you. Right, doesn't that kind of sound like someone's tattling on you? 
my brethren, by Chloe's people, that there are quarrels among you. Now, I mean this, that each of you is saying, oh, I'm of Paul. And, and, and some of you say, I am of Apollos. And still others say, I of Cephas. And, and, and still some, I of Christ. Has Christ been divided? Uh, Paul was not crucified for you, was he? Or, or were you baptized in the name of Paul? He, here's the church that, that Paul's writing to. Here's the church that we're going to see in, in, in 1 Corinthians 12. It's a church who's picked sides on every issue. Right? I'm, I'm the Apollos team. And, and, and we, we really care about theology. And we really care about interweaving uh, philosophy into our understanding of faith. And having really deep studies about theology. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm from Paul's team. And team Paul, we're all about the Old Testament. And we know the Old Testament, and we know the, the illusions all throughout Scripture, the fulfillment of prophecy, and everybody's over here. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm part of this group, and I'm part of this group. And what Paul is confronting, what Paul's finding in the church of Corinth is a church that is choosing their comfort over unity. A church who's choosing their preferences over unity. This is, this is what we find all the time in church is that we, we, find, um, we find uniformity a replacement for unity. And what Paul's going to confront in 1 Corinthians 12 is the idolatry of uniformity. You, the idolatry of uniformity most often in us expresses itself in our comfort and our preferences. Because if we all like things the same way, then everything's going to look the same and we can all fit into a nice little category. But Paul's trying to tell them, no, look, look, look the church is bigger than you. What it means to be the body of Christ means disformity. I couldn't think of a better word than that and I don't know paints a different image. But it's like a puzzle, right? You ever tried putting together um, a puzzle that was just a bunch of squares? No, because they don't make them because that'd be stupid. Right? Puzzles, the beauty of a puzzle, the intricacy of the puzzle is every shape is different. There's oddity to everything, but when all those pieces come together, they create this beautiful image, this beautiful art. All the weird, funky, jagged edges sticking all over the place come together to create this one picture. This is the church that Paul is confronting in the book of 1 Corinthians. So if you have your Bible and you want to follow along, 1 Corinthians 12, with that in mind, let's look at this. Now, um, the first word that says this, 1 Corinthians 12, it says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I, I do not want you to be unaware. Okay, so now we have to pause there for a second. Um, there's a really delicate balance that I try and walk. Okay? And, and the really delicate balance is this, is I never want you to lack faith or trust in, in this book, right? But we have to recognize that what we are reading here in this English, whatever translation you're reading, is a book that was written in a language that has died off long ago, 2,000 years ago, and there's nuance and there's, there's, there's um, grammatical things that are different in English than there were in, in Koine Greek. There's all these different things going on, and what we're receiving is um, editors and translators' choices on how they read and what they understand it to be saying, trying to help us understand what it said in the original language, right? And I understand 
that, that translators have an incredibly difficult job. And so sometimes they put things in here to help us. Because if we're going to be real honest, um, we're not always a very literate people, right? So it says this, now concerning spiritual gifts, here's the thing about it. And your head, you might even have a heading. My heading says this. Um, your heading might say, this, these aren't translators, these are editors. Um, Paul didn't put headings. I don't know if you know that. Paul didn't put headings. He didn't put chapter marks or verse markings. He just wrote them a very long letter, and we broke it up. But the top of it, mine says, the use of spiritual gifts. Now, here's the deal. Um, later, Paul does talk about spiritual gifts. 1 Corinthians 12 is not primarily about the use, the function of spiritual gifts. It's about division and unity in the church. Look at this. The first three words in Greek, it says this. Okay, this is what it says. Now about the pneuma things. Anybody remember, anybody see the pneuma videos? Do you remember um, like 15, 20 years ago, there were these whole series of videos called pneuma videos, right? A lot of them were really great. Um, pneuma is the Greek word for um, spirit, or breath, or air, which is why we, um, why we have pneumatic, a pneumatic drill is a drill that's powered by air. It comes from that same, same root word, right? But what it says here, it doesn't actually say gifts. What he's saying is now concerning the things of the Spirit. Because you see, even the movement of the Holy Spirit, even the profound power of this gift that Jesus gives us, Right In the Holy Spirit, this thing that dwells in us and God's presence is with us. Everywhere we go, God is with us. This incredible thing, even this thing can become the thing that causes division amongst us. And so he says this, look at this, verse three. Verse three, oh, sorry, verse four. Now, therefore, sorry, now there are a variety of gifts. Now that word there um, is uh, charisma, um, it's where we get like charismatic, um, but it's also the same, the same root word. It's just different tenses and all that kind of stuff. The same root word is, is grace, and, and translators actually just have to make a decision based on the context whether that word is meant to be grace or meant to be gift, but gift and grace are very synonymous, right? A gift is something you give without any strings attached, right? You, you give a gift, and grace is a gift a lot of times the way we define it, right? So it says this. Now, there are a variety of ways of there are a variety of gifts. There's a variety of ways that God shows you mercy. There's a variety of ways that God empowers you. But look at this. This is his, this is, hear the rhythm of this. There are a variety of gifts, but the same spirit. There are a variety of ministries, but the same Lord. There are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all Persons. That word in um, verse 5, the variety of ministries, it's actually the word that we get the word deacon from, right? It means like tasks. There, there are a variety of, uh, a lot of times when we think of the word ministries, we create an overly spiritual um, uh, articulation of it. And, and what he's actually just saying is he's saying, there's a variety of ways that God's going to work through you. There's a variety of ways of jobs he has for you. There are a variety of gifts he has for you. And there are a variety of effects. There are a variety of impacts. But the same God over and over again. What he's trying to tell them, right? He's going to go on and they're going to be like, you know, he's going to kind of critique him because um, you know in the church what's going on in the church is there's um, teams speaking in tongues, right? And teams speaking in tongues is over here. We're like, well, we're, we're a team. We're the, we're the really spiritual people. 
right? Because, because we can, God speaks through us, and then there's people over here, and their team, um, healing, right? And they're like, <laughs> all you do is talk. I touch someone, and they get up and walk. Boom, what do you want, right? And then there's team back here. There's team administration. They're like, <laughs> none of you show up to meetings on time. None of this would happen if it wasn't for us. And the church is divided by all of these good things in the way that God wants to move in people. That God wants to, here, look at this, look at this. this. This is verse seven. I love this. But he says, but to each one is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. Can we all agree that's a little bit of a weird wording? Like that's, a, nobody uses the word manifestation unless you're talking about a Halloween movie, Right? But each one is given the manifest. The, the word actually is very similar to the word um, that, that, that titles the last book of our Bible. Revelation. It's, it's a very synonymous way. It's an unveiling. It's a revealing. Right? So look at what he says. Right? You, you have all the teams. You've got, you've got team grace and, and, and team truth. And you've got team justice, and you've got team administration, and you've got all these different teams, and you're all, you know, we're the right ones. We're, look at God's moving in us, right? And everybody should be like us. Everybody should look just like we look. But he says this, he says, but to each one of you is giving a little bit of the revealing of the Spirit for all of our benefit. But here's what he's trying to tell them. There, um, we know this, right? Scripture tells us that we are all image bearers. That every single one, it says that he made man and woman, he made them in his own image, in the image of God he created them, right? It tells us in Genesis. And we believe that, that every single human carries the image of God. But what Paul's telling us is that there is something about the character or the movement of God that is seen differently when the Spirit unveils it in individual people. There is something about the way God made each one of us that is for the benefit of the whole. There is something in every single one of you that we would not see of who the character of God is and his heart for the world. When, when, when your heart breaks for the overlooked and the unwanted and the rejected, when your heart breaks for that, that is a move of the Spirit of revealing a part of of who the Holy Spirit is and who God is that we as the church would not see if God was not doing that in your heart. That every single one of us, he goes on, he gives them this illustration. He says, um, he says uh, it's like a body, right? That every part is like a body. That every, every individual is like an individual part of the body and, and every single part is necessary for the body to work as it's supposed to to work. He, he says this in, in, in verse 27. This is how he ends it. Now you, that's not individually, that's collectively. You collectively are Christ's body. He, here's, um, he, here's a little fallacy that we should just get rid of. Um, you individually are not Jesus's body. You individually are not the church. You individually are not Christ's body. <laughs> Just think about, think about the implication of that. If, if you were the fullness of Christ's body, um, that would mean that you were the manifestation of Jesus everywhere you went. Like, that's a really weird claim to make of yourself. But we, he says plural, you collectively, the church, you are the body of Christ. But he says it that we are all parts of the body and individually, which means differently, Members of it. 
that our church desperately needs, the church, the global church desperately needs you to be the part of the body that God's called you to be. So with the time left, I want to give you three, three observations. Now, if you're a note taker, you're going to love this because I've got three points for you today. Okay? Um, actually, let's be honest. If you're a note taker, you quit taking notes a long time ago listening to my sermon. So here you go. Ready? Here, here it is. First one is this. Here, here's what I see Paul telling the church at Corinth. There are no useless parts of the body of Christ. If you are a follower of Jesus, you are a necessity not a benefit. Let me give you this illustration. So, um, uh, you know, when I was 17, 18 years old, I had the operation that a lot of people do and had four wisdom teeth taken out, which is why I'm so dumb now. So I had all four wisdom teeth taken out, right? And I always thought it was weird. Like, why do we have wisdom teeth? Because what did they tell you every single time? You guys would be astounded to know this based on how loud my voice is and how much I talk. I actually have an incredibly small mouth is what dentists tell me right? If I'm at the dentist too long, like I start to bleed in the corners of my mouth because they take that like, like grabber thing and just unhinge my jaw, ripping it apart, right? Okay. Um, and they, they tell you, right, if you've had your, your wisdom teeth out, you know, you, they say there's not enough room in your mouth. And I always thought, why, is, why do we have wisdom teeth if they don't fit, right? So I asked a dentist because I thought, well, a dentist should know. And here's what he told me. He said a hundred years ago, before modern dentistry, they were essential. Because about the time your wisdom teeth would begin to grow in, your front molars would begin to rot and fall out. Not long, that long ago. And they'd begin to rot and fall out and your wisdom teeth would grow in and then push your 12-year molars farther forward so that you could still eat. Right, isn't that amazing? And now we just, we take care of our teeth and so now we don't need them, we don't have room for them, we pull them out. He, here, here, here's my point. There is no part of the body that is useless. Now, there may be parts of your body that you don't know what it's there for yet, but there's no part of the body of Christ that is useless. Every single part is essential. Here's the other thing. Here's the other thing I noticed. Um, we, We may not always benefit from the necessity that we are to the church. Here's what I mean. Um, how many of you guys know what the small, inte- the large intestines do? You know what the large intestines do, right? Somebody, you're in nursing school. What's the large intestines do? Yeah, it pulls moisture out, right? It absorbs moisture. You get nutrients and all that kind of stuff up, fire up, and then pulls the moisture out. Here was my thought. Um, how much does the large intestines benefit from what it does? Almost nothing. Like, think about all the water that the large intestine pulls out. How much water does the large intestine need? It needs like a tiny percentage of what it consumes, right? But then I had this other thought. How much does the large intestine benefit from the water it pulls out? Everything. Because without it doing its job, the body would not survive and the intestines itself would die. You have an essential calling God wants to do something in you. He wants to reveal himself in you in a way that is essential to the whole body functioning as God has called it to be. Here's the last observation I made. Um, We're the body of Christ. 
Okay, um, you, you, you don't seem as shocked um, as I was. Here, let, let me say it this way. Um, Jesus, you remember when Jesus, you remember Jesus, right? You remember Jesus? He's gonna leave, and then you know what he says to his disciples? He says, it's better that I leave, but I'm gonna leave you a helper, right? And that's the Holy Spirit. And, and here's what I thought a lot of times. Here's what I've thought for a lot of my life. I've thought, it's good that Jesus leaves because Jesus is one man in Israel, and he stands where his two feet are in Israel 2,000 years ago, and it's better that Jesus leaves because the Spirit is a Spirit, and he can be anywhere, right? And I thought that's what he meant. There's another time where Jesus says this. He says, um, he says um, I'm going to leave, and you're going to do greater things than even that I did. It's like, <laughs> what are you talking about, Jesus? You died and rose, right? A lot of times we envision that the presence of Jesus is the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit and Jesus are different. The Holy Spirit and Jesus are two different parts of the Trinity. Jesus says it's better that he leaves because in his absence, millions of little bodies of Christ will pop up all over the world. Little manifestations of the goodness of God. That's us. Jesus said it's better that he leaves so that millions of his bodies could pop up all over the world and people could hear and see and understand grace and mercy and kindness. But it only happens, it only happens when each one of us plays our part and allows the Spirit to do his unveiling in us. It only happens when each one of us plays the part that God's called us to play. And sometimes it's for a season. Sometimes it looks totally different than you might, just, just this last week, right? Just on, on Friday, I, I was in all of a sudden, I looked out the window and there's someone walking back and forth with a wheelbarrow. And you may have noticed there's some piles of bark dust out there. We didn't organize that, we didn't plan it. Someone just decided and God had equipped them and God's given them the ability physically to be able to spread bark dust and, and an observation to care about it. And they went and got some bark dust and they started spreading bark dust out there. For eight years, we've been doing Back to School Bash. You know how Back to School Bash started? Back to School Bash is the school supply giveaway that we do for Central and Fall City communities um, uh, in August, right? You know, how, you know how it started? Because some people noticed, some people who worked in schools noticed how many kids came to school at the beginning of school year without sufficient supplies, and their heart broke for them. And they thought it's not their fault, and that no kid should walk in ill-equipped into school, and that they did nothing wrong and that we need to fill that gap. And so people whose heart were broken for people who were overlooked or unwanted or rejected. You know how we started doing the diapers and wipes uh, giveaway, working with DHS and foster families? Because people in this church, because their hearts were broken for people that nobody else saw or cared about. This community, this world desperately needs all of us to open ourselves up to God doing the unraveling, the unveiling. I don't know what it's going to look like for you. Maybe we spread and bark dust. Maybe it'd be some place where your heart breaks for something. But there are no unnecessary parts of the body. And if we are going to be the body of Christ in Monmouth and Independence, if we are going to be the fullness of what God is calling us to, the manifestation of Jesus in this community, it's going to require every single one of us to lean in and to trust and to follow Jesus wherever he calls us.
So what is it for you? We are not spiritual consumers. We are spiritual contributors. The church does not exist for us. We are the church, and we exist for the world. May it be so.